Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, today by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we will be recapping season six of the Schmodown, the magic season, in the only way that we know how, by going through the award award nominations and choosing our picks for the various categories. But before we do that, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well today, Scott. Uh, It's... Well, I guess to, to give a little insight on the podcast, we're actually recording this much earlier than, it, than it's releasing. Uh, if you're listening to this, it's the eve for the Schmodown uh, Awards for this past season. Uh, but right now, it's uh, it's December 31st. It's New Year's Eve, and I'm uh, very excited about starting a new year. Starting tomorrow, we have our big live stream. Obviously, that will have already happened by the time this podcast released, but I'm very excited about that. I agonized last night uh, over swapping and, and changing around some picks in my top 10. I'm probably going to agonize it for a couple more hours after we record this today, and then press send on it and just have to live with it yeah no that it's it's been that kind of a year for movies where there are 11 12 13 14 15 count however many you want uh really great movies that you want to put in your uh top 10 even more so than usual i think i was looking last night and thinking that my 11 pick for this year was probably would probably have been like my number five or six from last year that's just what kind of a year it's been but yeah i'm looking forward to uh to getting uh the lists out there on the live stream tomorrow and uh Hope that everyone can join us live. Obviously, it will have already happened when you when you hear this. But if you ha- if you weren't able to join us live, uh, check out the episode because I think it's going to be a really fun time. But I think it's also going to be a fun time discussing the Schmodown Award, Scott. So why don't we get into it now? Uh, and we're just going to go through the individual categories and give our picks for who we think should win the awards. And that's important to note. This is not necessarily who we think is going to win, Who, what our prediction is of who is going to win. Scott, we can start with best entrance for an individual. Your nominees are Greg Alba's A Star is Born entrance from the free-for-all, Jeff Snyder's Bear Jew entrance from the free-for-all, John Roca's entrance at the Schmodown Spectacular, his quote-unquote sick game after he was thought to uh, not be showing up due to uh, having bronchitis, I believe it was. Um, Andrew Diamalanta's entrance when he flew the X-Wing in against Laura Kelly. Rachel Cushing's San Diego entrance coming in uh, as uh, from the, from Lord of the Rings with, with her partner Clark Wolf with the music from Lord of the Rings. And then Bibiani's entrance, uh, an ode to love, actually, when he faced off against Chance Ellison in the tournament. Scott, who's your pick for this category? Yeah, for me in this category, I I kind of narrowed it down to two or three. I don't really think John Roca's entrance is like an entrance of the year. It, it's more of a moment of the year for me. So I kind of just cast that one aside a little bit as I started to think about this. And uh, I kind of felt similarly for Rachel Cushing's as well. I didn't think it was... Uh, that amazing of an, of an entrance, especially for the likes of a Rachel Cushing and a Clark Wolf and what they are capable to do, which is why I would, you know, we can talk more about them and when we get to best entrance for a team here in a second. But for me, it was really down between uh, Jeff Snyder's Bear Jew entrance and Andrew DiMolanta's X-Wing and, and, and Andrew DiMolanta's X-Wing entrance. And so I went with Jeff Snyder's uh, Bear Jew entrance, one, because I love Inglorious Bastards, great movie, but also just... Having a weird experience, and part of it was maybe just the experience of watching the free for all. The fact that we were at the wide angle is that it actually took us a second to realize what yeah. it was, which kind of added to 
to the way I look back and on it so fondly because when I did go back and rewatch the free for all, uh, I was like, oh yeah, this is even this. It would have been even better um, had I seen it that way live, the way it was meant to be seen, kind of in the in the way that it was shot rather than the wide angle. But that's the one I'm choosing for this one. Yeah, no, we're on the same page here, Scott. Uh, probably won't surprise you as uh, you know, Inglorious Bastards, my my number two favorite movie of all time. So I was always going to love this entrance, but I think it was really well executed by Snyder. He he really built up the suspense by having the music play a pretty long intro before he actually appeared, just just as it does in the movie. And then he came out. He had the full dress. He had the baseball bat. I forget what he was using to make the sound effect, but he was even making the little sound effect. Uh, like Eli Roth makes with his baseball bat before he like actually appears in the movie. Um, and so it was, it was a great entrance and uh, I, I'm giving it to Snyder for this one. It wasn't really much of a debate for me. All right. Best entrance by teams, Scott, we have here, we have Crimson Fury when Tim Franco was revealed as Stacey Howard's partner. We have the Shire Wolves, Thelma and Louise entrance before their title match against critically acclaimed. We have the Looney Bin, their their debut match, uh, Tom and Video Drew. We have Shazam pre- pretending they are they are the announcers. I believe that came in one of the last matches of the season um, in the tournament. And then we have the Scream Queens entrance against the Odd Couple when they uh, they murdered our commissioner Sam Levine. Scott, who did you go with? Yeah, for the, for this one, this is one of the few categories where <clears throat> because I did not watch every match in the team's tournament, I did miss some of these. Uh, and so for me, honestly, I didn't really feel like it was that much of a competition because I don't believe I saw either Shazam's uh, nominated entrance here or the Scream Queen's entrance. So I have a hard time voting on that if I haven't seen it, which maybe means I should abstain from the category altogether. But that being said, I do choose the Thelma and Louise uh, Shirewolf entrance versus Critically Acclaimed. Yes, Scott, I don't think we're going to agree for every award, but we are agreeing so far here. I also went with uh, with the Thelma and Louise entrance. I think that, um, you know, Clark Wolf and Rachel Cushing, they are the Thelma and Louise of the Schmodown. So it was kind of amazing that they had not done this entrance before, uh, but it was it was a great entrance. Nonetheless, they they really ramped up the production value for this one to uh, to compete with, you know, critically acclaimed, who always has the great entrances. And And I should say that probably my favorite team entrance was a critically acclaimed entrance that didn't make the list. And that was when they had Leonard Malton uh, appearing to review their, their latest entrance and giving it a bomb. Uh, that one, that one made me, made me chuckle just because I've always uh, loved Leonard Malton and uh, had his movie guides ever since I was a kid. So uh, that one hit home for me and was disappointed not to see it nominated, but there are only five nominees. And of these nominees, the best for me was the Thelma and Louise entrance. Yeah. It's one of those things where, it's a common recurring joke even in the Schmodown about how Bibbs, Bibbs as teams and Bibbs as an individual could be nominated for, you know, four of the five spots yeah. and, and obviously not win it because someone else did some crazy, awesome, well-loved entrance that leaves all the rest of his entrances out in the cold, which maybe is what happens here in, in the voting for the nominations too, because you have all these people who are fans of Bibbs and Shazam and critically acclaimed because he was on two different teams this year and they kind of get left out in the cold in the nominations where they could easily have gotten more nominations. But the fact that they have four or five who might be considered for a nomination splits the vote up a little bit. And your yeah, favorite doesn't get in. And I wonder if Bibbs himself was picking the nominations, which ones he would have chosen. Would he have actually chosen these specific entrances? I feel like not. Cause I feel like, again, these may not be his best ones. Like I barely remember what his love actually entrance was against chance. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised, despite you know him having a flair for entrances, if he doesn't take home either the individual or teams. Uh, <clears throat> I just think that perhaps the choices that were ultimately decided were maybe not the best ones to go with. But 
Looking ahead, Scott, Inner Geekdom Star Wars Player of the Year. This is a big one. Kevin Smets, Mike Kalinowski, Rachel Cushing, Alex Damon, and Chandru Dandapani. Tough field to choose from here. I think you could easily go with four of the five nominees, I think, would be a great choice. Who did you go with? Yeah, this is one of the <laughs> toughest categories I think I, I had the time with here. I I will say I wasn't obviously I wasn't considering all five of these individuals. I did kind of knock it down between Smets, Kalinowski, and Damon. For me this year, of course, you know, we talked about last year how Alex Damon really was kind of the unstoppable force in this category, the number of title, I think because he had more title defenses last year, and he just seemed absolutely unstoppable. And it's not that that has changed this year, but something different about the Intergeekdom this year, even with the Intergeekdom tournament last year and kind of the start, uh, almost a teaser for what was going to come this year, because this year really felt like it exploded off the scene and Intergeekdom far overshadowed um, Star Wars. And I think both Kalinowski, Smets, and Cushing probably all overshadowed what Alex Damon was able to accomplish uh, this year, which wasn't the case last year when we both voted for Alex Damon. And so it was a really tough one. I, I did kind of knock off Rachel because I really felt like she only had the one big win uh, over, you know, we'll talk about that much later. It will come up later. Uh, but the big win at the Schmodown Throwdown in, in February, and it was obviously a huge moment for her to become the first <coughs> double-belted champion. But I didn't think that she was the inner Geekdom Star Wars Player of the Year. And so then it came down to Smets versus Kalinowski. And, you know, Kalinowski probably had more of the titanic memorable matches of the year and it just so happens that you know he lost a couple of them right he he went two and two in those big matches he lost once to rachel beat rachel beat smets once got embarrassed by smets once and to me then thinking about what smets's record was you know he was someone who really only had two close matches uh the entire year of the seven i think that he played and then he played a lot uh but you know one of them was the kind of soul crushing defeat for him to Kalinowski in the number one contender match at the collision. And then the other was a close win against Chandra Dandapani later on in the year. But it, I think that's not emblematic of uh, his performance because, you know, a lot of times, obviously the benches that you think of, a lot of the ones that you that you think of are, are ones with Mike and, and Rachel and Smets, you know, one, one, you know, always Mike and then mm -hmm. one of Rachel or Smets. But for me, the fact that Smets was KOing, you know, people left and right, the fact that, you know, he finished six and one, I believe it was, and five of his wins were KOs, just speaks to how dominant and how impressive his year was, even if some of his earlier matches were less stiff competition. And so I ultimately did go with Kevin Smets. Yeah, no, it's it's so close between if you're comparing Mike and Kevin, because I think, you know, Kevin just has the one loss. He is the current champion. He ha he only really has that one loss because of he he misspoke. Uh, the match yeah. may have gone a different way if he hadn't said, don't tell Peter. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to take that into account. I think you also have to take into account that Mike beat Rachel this year. And that's something that Kevin hasn't done. Rachel Rachel Cushing is probably the best intergeekdom player of all time. Um and Mike was able to beat her. He did lose to her, of course, but uh, he he beat her last year. And he so Mike Kalinowski, he beat Rachel this year, something that he'd been wanting to do for a long time. And that's something that Kevin Smets hasn't done. Right. And, and I mean, Rachel, I mean, he'll never have the opportunity to do it. But sure, sure. But yeah. he, he hasn't done it e either way. Um, mm -hmm. And Rachel Cushing is the best intergeekdom player of all time. So um, for for Mike to get that win is something that I think can't be discounted. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to singles and how beating the goat maybe uh is worth more than than a you know most wins would be but because those two guys were so close and it was kind of a flip of the coin for me 
I went with Alex Damon again. I think that um, it, it's you cannot discount what he has done this year. He has been undefeated yet again. He's defended his belt uh, two or three times this season, twice. And, twice. and I'm not even sure if he missed a question. Um, it just nothing seems to rattle this guy. And you know what? What Kalinowski and especially Smets. I think if I had to go with one of those two guys, I think I would go with Smets, like he did, just because of how he came onto the scene this year. You know, what those guys have done is so impressive, but they both had their stumbles. And Alex Damon, for the second year running, hasn't had any stumbles. Maybe he hasn't had as many matches, but that's not really something that he has control over. Um, so I, I think that, for me, kind of solves the problem of Smets versus Kalinowski in this category, uh, because I think you have an equally worthy nominee in Damon, uh, who just dominated the Star Wars division yet again. So. Yeah. Went, went with Damon, and we'll see if he gets his second straight win. I, I kind of think he probably won't, but yeah, uh, I don't think so. Not this year. We'll I think see. for the reasons why, like the fact that Inner Geekdom had so many Titanic, you know, matches this year, had so many fierce rivalries and competitions between Mike and Rachel, and then Mike and uh, Mike and Smets. I, I just think that the mind share of that division and the quality of that division is going to put Alex Damon at a disadvantage. I mean, you're absolutely right; he's worthy you know, two, two title defenses this year in some ways more competitive. Well, the one with Scrimshaw was more competitive this year than any of the title matches he had la- title defenses he had last year, which made it very impressive. Uh, but unfortunately he, uh, the, I, Laura Kelly gave him, a, gave him a good run for a couple rounds, but obviously his experience and, and his knowledge uh, outlasted her and, and made that match ultimately look a lot less close than it was for the first couple rounds. Agreed. Okay, uh, Scott, moving on now to upset of the year. We have Mark Riley versus Stacey Howard in the singles tournament. We have the Looney Ben versus Time Machine in the teams tournament. We have Oyama beating Merle to win the title. We have the odd couple winning the title against the Shire Wolves, giving the Shire Wolves their first loss. And we have Crimson Fury beating the Loose Cannons also in the first round of the teams tournament. Scott, it was a bit of a weak, weaker year for upsets. I think there weren't quite as many shocking upsets, unfortunately. Yeah. And so for me, I think this was kind of an easy choice, but I'm interested to hear if you thought it was just as easy and if we went with the same easy choice. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, we, I think we are going to end up choosing the same one, but to give it a little bit more airtime here, I think there are two two matches to consider. One of them, Riley versus Howard in you know the first round of the singles tournament where, of course, Stacey Howard upsets Mark Riley. And then the other one being the Looney Bin versus the, versus the time machine. And, you know, ultimately I'll just go ahead and instead of hiding the eight ball, like I picked Riley versus Howard. I think that's the only true upset, you know, just could not at, you know, no, no one predicting Stacey Howard to, to win that match. I mean, I'm sure someone did out there. Right. But the fact that, that, that she was just such a huge underdog in that match and she ultimately did best Riley. I think that it's one of those situations where I agree that there's probably really no contest in terms of true meaning of the word you know, upset, right? But also when you think about upset of the year, I think there's also another interpretation of that. And like, you know, what is, uh, you know, less a big surprise, but what, what is like a big competitor, you know, getting upset, even if the quality difference isn't that large. Uh, and I think that that's where, you know, Looney Bin and the Time Machine come, you know, relative unknowns. They played, I believe it was one, one or two matches at the time. They played one match and lost. Right. Well, I guess. Well, I. So yes, that is true. Did wasn't this the second round of the? It was the second round. Play? You're right. They played two matches. They they but they won their first round match against the loose. Uh, was it the loose can? No, the loose cannons. Was who they lost to? I can't remember who they beat in the first round, but it was also an upset. 
but I guess the the point is here is that I think that this is also a match that should be in consideration for upset of the upset of the year, uh, and I think that some people probably will vote for it because, and even though I don't agree with him, but and that's because I think the fact that Tom, you know, people knew that Tom was good, right? They saw him in the first match against you know either the loose cans. I, I'm, I'm my memory is telling me right now who their first match was. They did lose, like you mentioned, uh, and Video Drew, who I yeah. think is oh, an average bit. to a. Above yes, the Looney Bins loss was against loose cannons. That that I know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I think I think the point is like that. You know, they lost their first round match, although it was clearly a, it was a competitive match against. You know, I don't know if Paul had won the singles title yet, but you know, a soon to be, if not already, you know, singles champion against two basically newcomers. Like I mean, Tom completely hadn't played a match before. Video Drew had played one, maybe two singles matches, and had come off as a very average team, and, and they ran loose cannons close, uh, and you know, it kept it close, didn't win the match, and then. The first round of the singles tournament, you know, our memory is escaping us, unfortunately, right now. But, you know, winning that match and then, you know, but it's the first round of the team's tournament. It was a 16-team tournament. And and so it's not like you're going to get the biggest heavyweights in the first round unless you get a really bad draw. But then you come up against Ethan Irwin and Janine the, the Machine. And I think that this team was rated highly. Like, were people picking them to win the team's tournament altogether? Some people might have been. Not everyone, but some people might have been. And the fact that the Looney Ben put in the performance that they do, that Tom has continued to show how strong of a competitor he is on this team especially uh, alongside you know a very you know, admirable performances from video true i think that this is also one of one of the upsets of the year although i just think that the difference in quality of the teams uh, doesn't compare to the difference in quality i think that we saw from stacy howard and mark riley and that's why i ultimately chose that match so the looney bins win was against the self-righteous brothers um maybe not the hugest upset but i would consider it a an upset um you know you have Whitney Seibold and Mark Edward Hoyt there, two established players. Um, and you obviously Mark Mark Hoyk, very good player. Um, whether he's like very well established or not, um, Whitney Seibold has had a title shot in the team's division. He's been playing the showdown for three years or something now. So uh, I I would I would have considered that a slight upset at the time, considering they came in without uh having uh, win but nevertheless that's not a nominee and what is a nominee is riley versus howard and that was also my choice um i think that we talk a lot about stacy howard on here and about how we we she has her highs and lows and we go back and forth on how to feel about her as a competitor and whether she's a legitimate threat and you know maybe when you pick her to to pull off the upset she goes out and lays an egg and then when you think nah, forget it, I'm not being burned again. Then she goes out and does something like beating Mark Riley. Um, and I think that's why it was so shocking because we were we were at that point with her. I think she had had several not good matches in a row in singles. She lost to Janine. She uh, lost in that manager bowl at um, the collision, I believe. Um, and I think might have even had another loss in there somewhere as well. But she came in against a guy, uh, Mark Riley, who obviously is the former two-time singles champion was quote unquote the top seed I think going into the singles tournament and she pulled off the upset and, and the manner in which she pulled off the upset too right she she dominated the match for the first two rounds had Riley come back on her in the third round and then even despite being up against the wall having to answer that five pointer against yeah. Riley you know at, at a point where she might have just said well you know I gave it a good good run he just wasn't beatable today she pulled out the five pointer and and was able to to get the win and you know, didn't go any further than the second round in the tournament after facing Brendan Meyer, but an impressive upset nonetheless. So I also went with Riley versus Howard. Okay, podcast after show of the year. We have Call to Action, Take Three, Dedicated to Art, Jaw Movies, and Abby Friel Twitter reactions. Scott, for me, this was an easy choice. 
Uh, who did you go with? I I did actually abstain from voting on this one because I don't watch any of the podcast after shows of the year. So I'll turn it over to you. Uh, how noble of you. Um, yeah, no, I I don't like watch a ton of these, although I would say that I, like I don't watch take three or dedicated to art, to be quite honest with you, although I know some of the people over there and they're good people. And that that also like weighs in my decision and, and how I vote for this. Of, you know, who who, who do I do like? You like um, them? Yeah, uh, I do. You follow want to call Abby. anyone out right now? <laughs> no, I do follow Abby on Twitter. I think her Twitter reactions and Schmodown TikToks and everything are really, really funny. Um, don't really watch her reactions or anything like that. But um, for me, this was basically again. I think it was an easy choice, but uh, I did my, my runner up would be Albert with Jaw Movies just because he's he's a great guy. He's been doing Schmodown reactions for a long time and. Um, it's it's tough to pull off the solo reactions, right? And I think he he really does it in an engaging way. And so uh, love what he does over there at that channel. But my winner is called Action. I think uh, all the people over there are great people. Um, Alex, James, Danny, uh, Paul, Billy, all of these people are great. Um, and I love watching their their shows. They have had such they've expanded things really well this year. They got the chill to action sort of chat show that they have on on Sundays, I believe it is. They've had like a huge guest on there. They even had Christian Harloff, um, who they've interviewed on there. They have their flagship shows. They have all of the exhibition matches and tournaments and everything that they do. They are just the most constant force. And and this is something else as well. I think they this is outside of maybe their show and stuff, but the Action Army and the call to action crew in particular turns out for like every single live event. They are represented at every single live event. And so I think that that can't be discounted when you're considering this. They are, I think the best of the best when it comes to Schmodown fans and reactors right now. And I picked them. And I think with the Schmodown rundown out of the picture this year, I think call to action's got this in the bag. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, if I had voted, it would have, would have been for them, but I just didn't feel like it was fair because I didn't watch any of I haven't sure. watched any of their content outside of the reactors tournament. And I haven't watched anyone else's content either. I don't even I don't even listen to the rundown. So I just feel very out of the loop on this category. And so uh, it doesn't that that take doesn't surprise me. Uh, and I do expect them to win. Yeah, no, f fair enough. Um, OK, moving back into the Schmodown itself. Um, manager of the year. This is I the think slam dunk category. Right. Sure. One that was pretty competitive for most of the season. And then ultimately, I think in the end, one pulled away. But your nominees are John Kaiser, Tom Dagnino. Roxy Stryer, Jay Washington. Why is he even nominated? Um, <laughs> Ken Napsock and Grace Brutal. Hancock uh, and Robert Meyer Burnett. Um, Scott, who's the slam dunk here? Yeah, Jay Washington. I mean, you asked why he wasn't out. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, you, you know, I, I can. I mean, I can, beat Stacy. Like, that's the most impressive win of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I could, you know, I could honestly, I could entertain, you know, cases for other managers to be in the conversation, but. The way things that shook out in the Schmodown spectacular, the fact that you know his faction holds four is it yeah th you know three three belts of the of the five total or just four to oh, gosh I'm I'm blowing it right now of the five total belts that there are because of course there's two for teams. Yeah. Um, the, it's just it, it's got to be Tom Dagnino. The fact that you know maybe if you told me at the first half of the year, right, especially before Houston, that Tom Dagnino was going to be manager of the year. I was like, I don't know how that figures. I was going to be manager of the year, uh, especially because Roxy Stryer's, you know, the odd couple, the fact that she only managed the odd couple is probably what hindered her uh, case further into the season. But the fact that, you know, Jeff Snyder's uh, attempt at a singles title run kind of flamed out in the finals against Paul and uh, the odd couple, unfortunately, lost in the quarterfinals of the team's tournament, her late season run uh, at competing for, manager of the year kind of fell off 
Kevin, uh, it's not Kevin Smith. Jeez, John Kaiser's uh, run at it. You know, obviously with Smets, he was always going to be in the conversation. But when Paul uh, lost the title in, in the fashion that he did uh, to Ben Bateman uh, at the, you know, in that final match of of the spectacular, it never really felt like he was a legitimate contender for the conversation either. And honestly, I think that Tom Dugnino, uh really deserves it. You know, I, he's deserved it in other years when he won it. He'll he will be. I mean, I I'd really willing to bet the house on him winning um, manager of of the year. And you know, when he does take home his third manager of the year, it might be the one he deserves the most. The fact that He's been able to to manage the Horsemen's, you know, coming coming on board in in May after after the Houston live event and what he was able to do to kind of right the ship, you know, end the Horseman curse, all the things that he's done uh, and the way that he's really, really managed the individual players and teams uh, as a part of that faction. He's done a great job. Yeah, no, exactly. As you said, I think that, you know, Dagnino's entrance is what turned things around for the the horseman this year, his, his entrance as manager. And so I think you can't you can't discount that for sure. You have to look at what the horsemen have done since Dagnino has taken over. And it's been pretty much all good. Ben Bateman winning the singles tournament. Uh, who's the boss making a good run in the team's tournament? Founding fathers winning the title. Um you know, surviving retirement and then defending the title uh, against a tough opponent in Shazam at the Schmodown Spectacular. Um, I think what what Bobby Gooch has done here is is yeah, it's it's absolutely manager of the year worthy. I think Roxy is a great candidate. She won the team's title. She she managed the odd couple to beat the Sh- Shire Wolves. Hand the Shire Wolves their first ever loss. And I think you know uh, overall too, Roxy you can tell what a good manager she is. She is vocally supporting her, her boys. She supports them in, in studio at live events, whatever you, you can see the role that her managing has in the way that uh, the odd couple play and succeed. Kaiser and Jeff I think, Snyder as an individual too. Uh, yeah. You see that just like you see with Tom as well with his teams. And Snyder had a title shot this year um, exactly. with Kaiser. I think I, I, he's, he's firmly in third place for me, maybe even fourth behind Ken and Grace just because um, he only had Smets really. And I think you can look at Oyama and what Oyama did, but I don't really credit that to Kaiser's managing at all. In fact, I think Kaiser, from what I could see this year, he really focused all of his time and attention on, on Kevin Smets and it it paid off in the end. And he did a great job managing Smets specifically, but he had other, other, you know, people that he was supposed to be managing too. And I'm not sure that Oyama and Zipper really got the benefit of his managing and, I think back to that title match that Oyama lost there. And, you know, he, he obviously got really rattled after that second round. And I, I just think I, Kaiser would, it would have been, it would have behooved Kaiser to step in there and maybe sort of calm his, his boy down. I'm not sure that I really saw him do that. Or if he, he did try to do that. I don't know how effectively he did because it never got any better for Oyama in that match. And so I, I think he's a little further down the totem pole for me, but nevertheless, I think Dagnino is the clear winner here. But going forward, obviously things are going to be changed. Like Dagnino will have the the belt holders going into next year, but I think that's going to make it harder for him to win Manager of the Year just because um, his boys are going to have to defend a lot if they're if if Dagnino is going to be considered for that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Roxy really flourish next year with an expanded list of candidate of of players that she is managing. She just had the two this year, obviously, uh, and knowing what as we do, what she can do as a manager. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see her uh, top top of the rung next year. But nevertheless, it's Dagnino. Um, yeah, and, and 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 I think we're gonna see you know with the expanded league next year with the nine the nine factions we're gonna get. I think there's just gonna be a lot more opportunity to see 
you know, who really are the people who are really managing their teams well, right? And I think that Sam Levine is going to be someone who I think will compete up there with, you know, at, like tactical managers who's really going to be managing it. But, you know, he probably needs the right people with the right temperament to be managed by him, right? He needs to find those people just like I think Roxy needs to find those people as well because, like, you know, you can see how effective she has been managing Mark and Draco and Jeff Snyder. Now, can she put together a faction of people who she's able to manage that way, you know? it's a huge question mark, obviously whether she will hold on to Mark and Jeff, like she probably won't get both of them. And so we'll see what she's able to do with that expanded group. I'm very optimistic on her. I think that she's, I think in some ways, I think she's the front runner for manager of the year next year, as long as she's able to put together a good team in the draft, but we'll see. Yeah, we will see indeed. Uh, Moving on to babyface team of the year, Shazam, the Shire Wolves, the Wildberries, the founding fathers and the Paddington two. Uh, Scott, who'd you go with here? Yeah, these categories, I'll admit, sometimes confuse me a little bit. I'm never 100% sure uh, how to uh, how to check this. Uh, you know, of these teams, right? I mean, the Wildberries for me, they're, they're like their own thing. They're neither baby faces nor heels. They are the Wildberries. Yeah. Sometimes they're the Mildberries. I, I have a tough time putting them in this category because... They don't really have like storylines to be baby faces or heels. They just kind of exist in the Schmodown as this kind of chaotic entity, <laughs> uh, not in a good or a bad way. Uh, the Founding Fathers, I don't, again, I don't really, I, I, I just see that faction existing somewhere in the middle. I know they're definitely not heels, but I also just have a hard time thinking of them as baby faces. And maybe that's my own fault. If, like if you had to group them into one, I definitely would put them in baby faces for sure. But uh, to me, it just doesn't feel to me too. You know, my heart says we should just do the Paddington too because Atchity clearly just doesn't doesn't care about about a. He's very selfless, let's put it that way. Uh, or maybe he's self righteous in, in, in other ways. Like I wouldn't lose, the, I wouldn't want to win in that way. Uh, but for me, just by the nature of the fact that they kind of always were that force uh, for as long as they were in the league, I did go with the Shire Wolves. You know, to me, I think that there will never be more iconic baby faces. Uh, as maybe to the chagrin of Sam Levine, they'll never be more iconic baby faces than Clark Wolf and, and Rachel Cushing on a team together. And, and so I went with them one last time. Yeah, no, I uh, definitely understand that. And I think that um, the Shire Wolves are a great choice. They're, they're my runner ups. Uh, but I think I, I didn't go with them just because um, they're going to be getting the Yodi award um, this year. And I think that is really going to be the tribute to, um, the contribution that they made to the league, which is really the reason that I would be voting for them more than their performance. Um, so is it performances year. or is it like the char- the characters they play? Well, is- and that, that's what I was going to say. I, I do think that these categories more than any others are more about the kayfabe and the characters that you play. Yeah. Um, and so I do see why the Wildberries are in there. I mean, I think they're pretty lovable guys. Um, I, again, their performance probably wouldn't warrant like a team of the year or anything, obviously. But when you're talking about these kayfabe specific categories, I think they're a good choice. But because it is so kayfabe specific, I'm going with the Paddington, too. I think that uh, they're obviously my favorite team. But uh, these are these are two nice, jolly guys um, who just show up to play for the fun of the game. And yes, as you said, the the baby face moment of the year, like you cannot have a moment that embodies what it means to be a face more than what actually did in that match uh, against yeah. the family. I mean, you're talking about this wasn't just any match too. this was a tournament match. This was an elimination match. With- Would have been an upset. 
right, with the Paddington 2 possibly reaching the semifinals, who knows? They could be team champions right now if Ashley doesn't step in like that. Oh, calm um, down. Calm yourself. <laughs> they could. They could. They're a very, they're a very solid team. Um, sure. But um, they, you know, Ashley stepped in um, and he said, look, I can't win like this. This isn't uh, not this against isn't right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the ultimate face move. And I mean, I don't think the the Paddington 2 or Atchie or Geralde are really, I guess there is, they are in moment of the year as well. Um, but they're not really going to get much recognition on the night, I think. And so I think this is a great place to give them recognition for something that was an unprecedented face moment in the showdown. So shout out to Matt and Alonzo for. Yeah, right. I can't, I can't complain about that. I mean, if they win, it'll, it'll be, it'll be deserved. All right, Scott, heel team of the year. Looking to the other side of the coin, we have Corruption, The Family, Crimson Fury, The Odd Couple. I'm not sure why they're considered a heel team. Um, and The Movie Guys. Also not sure why they're considered heel team. I think The Slap is the reason why they're considered a heel team. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, uh, who's your choice here, Scott? Yeah, yeah. So this one, to me, it, it feels... If it, it feels like you kind of... There's, there's really only one choice. I mean, yeah... There are three options here that I think worth considering in Corruption, the Family, and Crimson Fury. Crimson Fury does, didn't. I don't think they left a strong enough impact on the division this year to really have a strong case for a heel team of the year. And so, to me, then it's down to Corruption and the Family. And then, if you're thinking about characters themselves and what they do, again, I think yes, Mike Kalinowski certainly a heel if you had to put him in one category or the other. But he exists in his kind of own, you know, third category of like his kayfabe is heel, but you know, you'll have a hard time finding a more like respectful uh, character in wins and in losses. And so I always do have like a little bit of a caveat when I think about these kind of awards for a team or a team with Mike on it or an individual in terms of Mike. And so in terms of pure heel, it's the family. Maybe it's not a surprise that Andrew guy is up for, and I'm picking Andrew guy for another heel moment. Uh, last year, he was the heel individual heel of the year. Um, he didn't, I don't think he was, he didn't win the heel team of the year, obviously, cause I don't think, um, uh, team action was, was nominated for that, but, uh, Andrew, a team with Andrew guy on it, especially the fact that he took an even harder heel turn. Like he was a heel already. And it seemed like he healed even harder this year, uh, with everything happening, uh, with, with a storyline and, and the action civil war. And so I'm going with the family. Yeah, I agree that it's between corruption and the family, but I went with corruption. I think that, um, for me, it's about the looking at the whole whole package, and yeah, maybe Mike, you know, in the moment at the end of matches, he he reveals his true nature. But I think, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time, he's a heel, and Chance is also a heel for sure. Um, when he does bother to open his mouth, um, he's usually talking smack, just like Mike and the rest of his faction does. Yeah. Uh, whereas with the family, I think you really only have one heel. You have Andrew Guy, and yes, he's a dominating force when it comes to the heel. But Drew McQueenie, he's just kind of there like he's he's trying like you can see him making an effort to be a heel, but I just don't think it's really him. Uh, and so I think when you're talking about heel team of the year, I have to look at both members. And that is why uh, I choose corruption. Fair enough. All right. Face of the year. The kid, Viviani, Ben Bateman, Dan Merle, Rachel Cushing. Yeah. You know, truly a category that's uh, a, a, there's one actual baby face. Uh, in this in this pick and so it was the one that your eye my eye immediately draws to and that's because the kid looks like an actual baby and I think (laughs) that uh, he's gonna have you know besides maybe his chance with with Shazam as a team I think he's gonna be he's gonna have a hard time being recognized I just think that 
he's uh, unfortunately in a comfortable third place in the rookie of of the year run as good as a year that that he's had and it's been such a strong year for rookies that I think that he doesn't really have a chance in the rookie of the year category and so for that reason I think that and and also the fact that he's just like a genuinely nice person and yes he's like I always find him funny and, and very sincere in in the matches he's like so in the zone and is so dialed in to the game but in like the most genuine and like babyface way I, I don't know because and then he's also just a really genuinely nice person uh in in kayfabe etc and so I'm choosing the kid yeah, it was between the kid and Rachel Cushing for me. Um, and I went with Rachel just because I think, yes, she embodies everything that a face is supposed to be. I think I said this last year when we did this awards uh, special, even though I think I went with Clark for player of the year last year. I went with Rachel for face of the year just because, again, of the kayfabe element and uh, what she she embodies and represents in the Schmodown, especially for for girls who watch the Schmodown. Um, and I think the kid, yes, I, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I do think towards the end, maybe some Bibiani influence started to creep in on him. Um, I think it's probably coming from a pure and more sincere place than it is from Bibiani. Uh, but nevertheless, I think maybe that was what gave Cushing the edge for me. Uh, and on, on that note, I would just say, I don't know why Bibiani or Bateman are really in here because yeah, Bateman, okay, he's part of the Horseman, which is a face faction, but I think the tactics that Ben uses in his matches, I, I don't think that they're really face tactics. And honestly, I don't see a huge difference between his character now and his character when. Um, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he's much more managed. respectful in interviews and stuff like that. Than yeah, used to be. Th- that's probably true. I just think that um, he's he's probably getting more credit for a face just because of the faction that he's part of than for anything sure. that he actually particularly does. So, and then Bibiani, yeah, right. we've talked before how we wouldn't really consider him a, a face, but moving on to heel of the year, um, Andrew Guy, Robert Meyer Burnett, Mike Kalinowski, John Kaiser, Grace Hancock. Yeah. Always interesting to see in this category. And you look at the last category, like you didn't have Dagnino or anyone in that category. I don't think, but then in this category, you have three managers who are nominated for heel of the year. Uh, it just took me a little bit by surprise. Uh, so, you know, Guy and, you know, Guy and Burnett, I think to me was kind of, in, in some ways, what it came down to, I mean, I talked about kind of my thoughts on on Mike, and although I, I just have a hard time reconciling him being a heel, which maybe is a little bit unfair because, again, I would definitely put him in the heel category, but uh, just because of the, the way that he carries himself in a, in, a, in a way that I actually very much quite like. I think it's really good for the Shmodan to have him you know, act in the way that he does, but I, I have a hard time then voting for him in an award like this. When it comes to Grace and... Uh, Grace Kaiser Burnett and Guy like whew, man it's, it's a tough crowd because you know to be honest the, like these are the biggest heels in the league I think they the nominations got it right for the most part um and then adding Kalinowski as the fifth makes a lot of sense to me and so you know one of the few categories I think that like you have five really good options to choose from and maybe in that sense made it some of the tougher ones you know corruption getting two nominations here and the family getting two nominations here probably says a lot but Oh man, this was one of the harder ones for sure. I think I ultimately went with Burnett. I think for similar reasons why, you know, Mike was talked about for me heel of the year for introducing something like the, you know, intergeekdom team tournament and a anarchy teams tournament. Not intergeekdom team, sorry, intergeekdom tournament and the anarchy teams tournament last year, you know, introducing that kayfabe. Was it Mike's idea to have those things? Like it doesn't really matter because it's the kayfabe, right? And like was the nuke Robert Meyer Burnett's idea? Probably not. But the fact that, you know, that heel move had the largest effect. Uh, on 
this coming season, the largest effect on the Schmodown. Like it's completely changing. And so for that reason, I did vote for Robert Meyer Burnett for Heel of the Year. I agree. I also went with Burnett. I uh, I think that uh, Guy is the obvious choice here and could win this award every year. Although we'll see based on you know what happened at the end of the season. He seems to be changing his tune somewhat. But um, Burnett, yeah, like you said, I think it's all about the nuke for me. Um, you know, the the fact that he introduced that into the Schmodown, something that you know, broke up and destroyed the entire fabric of the league. I mean, the entire, the league as we know it has changed going into next season. Um, and so I think that's, that's really important in considering this. And in general, just his persona on stage is the comically over the top supervillain character that uh, can get annoying sometimes, but I think that's, could play part, it better. <laughs> that's part of being heel of the year. I think he, you know, he's purposely annoying. I like, I just laugh about Christian talking about on SEN how, Burnett has never once hit any of the points that he wanted him to hit when he yeah. gives him a, you know, a list of things to uh, say when he, he does a kayfabe moment, you know, Burnett never hits any of them. And so I think that's, that's a, that's a heel move right there too. Just ranting about whatever you want to rant about. Um, so I went with RMB um, new team of the year, Scott Looney, Ben Shazam time machine, the movie guys, the family. Yeah. New team of the year. Like we're going to have a conversation here in just a second about Rookie of the Year. Another great season for new teams of the year. I mean, last year with the Anarchy Tournament, we had a ton of new teams. And a lot of them were were much better constructed in terms of com- competition-wise than the team's division was before. And this year, I think we got a strong injection of new teams. You know, the movie guys, maybe for me, of of these five is is kind of the distant fifth, so to speak. I think that they, you know, I love Paul Preston, but unfortunately, I think He's in a position that some other individuals on teams are where he is significantly better than than his partner. I think they still are an interesting team to watch because I think that the movie guys, yeah, he'll team of the year. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But Paul Preston's like a fun character. And I think that he has a hype man and his team partner in, in that sense. And I think it works really well together. But unfortunately, if we're talking about new team of the year, the conversation really then comes down to Shazam, the Looney Bin. Uh, the time machine and the family and kind of like the movie guys, I think the time machine's kind of a distant fourth with the other three. They're just based on the performance that they had that, you know, if time machine had beaten Ludi Ben, the tables would be turned right. And we'd be having a more serious conversation about them, but instead we're left with, you know, the Looney Ben Shazam and the family. And if you just look at the results of the team's tournament, I think that you find the answer and the answer to me is Shazam. Yes. The family has one more win. I think they're six and one as opposed, but some of those matches that they won, just I don't remember them, right? Like some of those earlier in the season matches that they won, I, I don't remember. And I feel like I remember all of Shazam's wins because I felt like they had more good wins than the family did. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe I'm misremembering. But to me, be, especially because they were in the title match at the end of the year, Shazam ekes out, ekes it out over over the over the family. Yeah, so something that was important for me in considering this award was the fact that Christian specified on the ballot that you consider can consider fan reception as well in uh, your criteria. It's not just about wins and losses, kind of like we were talking about with the K-Fib categories. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I went with the Looney Bin. I think that, um, yes, they, they have some really good wins, which is something that I consider as well. They beat the Self-Righteous Brothers. They beat the Time Machine. Their two losses have come against... Uh, you know, really good teams in, uh, well, the loose cannons are a, a decent team, but I mean, they have the former, f- former champion on their team um, and, and Shazam and the, the 
match both matches came down to the very end came down to the final question i believe um so they were were very close losses the way that they were able to battle and that's especially impressive i think considering that they are kind of a team where one player is i wouldn't say a lot stronger but it's definitely stronger than the other player um i think the the looney bin are a team that really tests our theory of you can only go so far with uh only one really strong player on your team because i think that Tom is so dominant, like he does just does not miss questions that you're kind of, you know, I kind of look at it in the match as a whole. You really only need video drew to pick up five, six points, maybe in the first round. Um, it And Tom can kind of handle it from there on out. He can handle round two. He can handle two questions in, in round three. He can give that two pointer to video drew. Um, but nevertheless, that's that's probably ancillary to, to what we're talking about here with new team of the year. I think the fan reception is huge. I think people have really taken to the loony Ben, And I understand why. Like this is a team unlike we have ever seen in the Schmodown in terms of what they bring to the cafe. This sort of. Dr. Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, Igor type dynamic that goes on between Video Drew and Tom is so strange and, and off the wall and hilarious. And again, not something that we've ever seen in the Schmodown. So I really take that into consideration as opposed to, uh, you know, like a Shazam or the family who I think brings a lot of trivia knowledge and success to the table, but uh, maybe not as much in the character department um, outside of Andrew Guy, perhaps. But um, for that reason, I went with the Looney Ben. I was really... I really grew grew to love this team by the end of the season, and I hope that they are able to stay together um, going into the new season. Um, and so, are they protected? I, they are not. They are the sixth ranked team, so That's they did not get yeah. protected. Um, but we'll see if they someone tries to keep them together. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I also wouldn't be surprised just to see Tom get picked up in the in the first round. Um, oh, Tom, Tom should get picked in the first yeah. round. Uh, and and I, I mean, I think he's going to be someone to watch not only in teams but in singles next year. Yeah, I mean, depending on how early he goes, say, you know, one of the first couple of picks are we're diving into draft stuff here. We couldn't avoid it. Uh, you know, depending on how early he goes, if someone I think I could see video drew kind of going in the in, towards the end of the second round. And because it's a snake draft, that means if you're picking time up early in the first round, she might still be there at the end of the second round. And so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they do stay together for that reason. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Christian encourages someone to take them both for the kayfabe person. point. For the kayfabe. You have kayfabe reasons just because. Do you want a match in the first half of the season? You will also take video yeah, drew. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Rookie of the year, Scott. Uh, Paul Oyama, Kevin, Kevin Smets, Paul Preston, Brendan Meyer, and Tom. Yeah. I mean – all five of these people in other in other seasons very deserving rookies of the year but instead we had the best rookie season in the schmodown by far i mean tom we just talked to, sat here and talked about how good he was you know he was someone who was a latecomer in the season and it's always quite difficult to win rookie of the year when you only have a few months of the season to work with and and that's always a struggle especially cuz he didn't show up in singles he wasn't in the singles tournament he didn't have that opportunity and was only in the team's tournament he left his mark certainly but not the same kind of mark, I think, that some of these other people left. You know, again, I mentioned, you know, the kid earlier in, in terms of how I think that he was kind of a, a distant third um, or a comfortable third place in this conversation. And that's because he had a strong showing in the free-for-all. He had a strong showing in singles, getting to the semifinals of the singles tournament. He had a strong showing in teams, obviously, winning the team's tournament, getting into the title match. But he doesn't have anything to show for it yet. And I think for that reason, there are two other people on this list who have something to show for it. Paul Preston, yeah, I kind of skipped over him. But like probably, you know, if my heart had to pick someone, I would pick Paul Preston for Rookie of the Year. I think I absolutely love this character. You talked about how the Looney Bin gives you a team that's different than anything else we've seen before. I think Paul Preston gave you a character that we haven't even really seen 
seen before in the Schmodown, and and I loved it. I was so on board with it, and obviously, you know, still feeling for him everything that he's going through right now, which ampl- you know amplifies it. I think all the more because uh, he still had a really great rookie season. Again, didn't, doesn't have anything to show for it. Didn't you know had a tough draw getting Ben Bateman in the quarterfinals of the singles tournament, and the movie guys also unfortunately not able to make it out of the the first round, I believe, of the teams tournament. But absolutely, absolutely love that guy and what he's doing in the show. And I can't wait for him to come back next year. And I think he's going to have a really good uh, year next year. Again, I think we talked earlier this year about how we wouldn't be surprised or we would even expect him to you know, hold a belt by the end of season seven or season eight. And, and I fully yep. expect that as well. But unfortunately, the conversation, it's not even unfortunately because it's just how good a season man. You know, the conversation is between Paul Yama, Kevin Smets. And for me, it took a long time going back and forth, but just something about i think the way the season ended you know the triumphant kevin smets KOing uh kalinowski to get to win the belt to overcome that loss at the collision that you know that he you know flubbed you know flubbed that question at the collision and the fact that that was in every single promo since the collision for him that was so present in him to overcome that in in the fashion that he did and on the other side of the coin paul you know being KO'd at the spectacular and losing the belt in that fashion, uh, I, you know, to me, it's a tough one because they both had spectacular seasons. But because of that ending, I did go with Kevin Smets. Yeah, I kind of thought about it the other way just because I think I was trying to not let what happened at the end of the season bias me in choosing between these two guys because I think you have to look at the season as a whole. Sure. Um, and so I went with Oyama. I think that they're very comparable, right? Like they have the exact same record of six and one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, since have five KOs, which I didn't even mention, but the fact that the fashion that well, he beat all of his opponents. Yes. I, but what I was going to say on that is I am of the Ben Bateman mentality that singles is just much tougher than inner geekdom is. I think when you're someone who has the knowledge of, first of all, there's a limited number of movies and, and inner geekdom. I mean, I guess there is a limited number of movies in singles, but is it? I mean, there's a limited number of movies that they realistically ask you about. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, but it's still much, much higher than the number of movies that you're asked about in inner geekdom. And so I think there's, you know, yes, it's very impressive to learn as much about these movies as Kevin Smets and Mike Kalinowski do. But, you know, you know what movies you're going to be asked about. Uh, And so I, I, I consider that, but I also consider kind of what you're saying, the fact that Smets had so many knockouts, I think speaks to the talent pool in each each uh, each league. I think that once you get below those top three or four intergeekdom competitors, right, the Rachels, the Mikes, the Maras of the world, there's nobody that's really even close to being on Kevin Smets's level. So when I see him knocking people out like um, David Moore or even Hector Navarro, I, I I really just think that's what he should be doing, right? Those, those are the types yeah, of Hector's a former champion, but... But Hector hasn't played in in a long time. The intergeekdom division is so much different from what it was when Hector played. People didn't really study in the same way that Mike and Kevin Smets do. But um, so so like I said, I, I look at that as that is what Smets should be doing. Mm-hmm. However, the some of the wins that Oyama has had, I, I don't think are are a given for sure. I mean, I think that win against Brendan Meyer looks more impressive every day with what Brendan Meyer was able to do um, for the rest of the season. And that was Paul's first win. He beat Chance Ellison in that really close match. He beat... Uh, Shouldn't have beat Chance Ellison in that match. Yeah. yeah. He beat Jeff Snyder in that title match. And he beat, in the most impressive winner of, of all, he beat the greatest of all time, Dan Merle, on a huge stage on a live during a live event in studio, sure, but it was a live event. Um, 
He, you know, was the rookie coming in to face the GOAT, probably something he has envisioned ever since he started playing in the fan leagues. Um, but he didn't let the moment get to him, even though he fell behind in the match. Um, he didn't he didn't fold and and Dan choked down the stretch in that round five. And um Paul was able to take advantage of it. Um and like that to me is is probably the most impressive win of the season is is Oyama doing what he did against uh, the greatest of all time, Dan Merle, who was on a great run at the time too, right? With, with his singles, having defended the belt um, and gotten picked up a couple of wins with founding fathers at that point. Um, so I, I went with Oyama just cause I think what he did is slightly more impressive. I mean, but, but what both people did is incredibly impressive for rookies. Um, but I think Oyama just had a harder hill to climb and that's why I go with him. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting to think about that way. I agree that the the win against the kid looks imp- more impressive every day, and I I do find it, it for a similar reason what you were talking about here, thinking about the other way. Because I also think about some of the things that you just said in the other way as well. The fact that he shouldn't have won the match against Chance, the fact that Dan choked in the match that he won in the title match, the fact, I mean, the fact that he it took oh you know it took um, sudden death to beat Snyder when he had such a comfortable lead, and the fact that he gets KO'd at the spectacular, along with everything that's going on in the background as well with. Uh, how he's not being received very well in the show because of the way that he was treating and and giving res- or giving or a lack of giving respect to other players. Again, I'm not using that to determine rookie of the year thing, but I'm just saying all those things to me. It, it just put a little it, it just put a little bit of a damper, I think, on his case for a rookie of the year when you have someone with such a strong storyline, such strong performances. I agree that the talent pool is a little bit different, but I I mean I think that you could. It's also just the the construction, and this is to your point, the construction of the of the of the rules is different too. the fact that there's it's easier to knock out someone in inner geekdom than it is yeah. in singles, right? It's quite difficult to knock someone out in singles uh, just because you only get four round two questions instead of five. And there's eight versus 10 in round one. Sorry, and also yeah. like inner geekdom, the subjects like most inner geekdom players with, again, with, with um, an, an exception being those top few have mm-hmm. a weakness or a couple of weaknesses. And it's like, if you get a question in those, if you get a, if you spend that one of those categories in round two, like it's over for you because it's the questions, bad. Bad. Yeah. the quets, right. The questions are such deep cuts that it's like, you're not even going to be able to grind them out really with multiple choice, maybe. Yeah. Um, and it's so a polarizing I think, league. I think knockouts can be easier for that reason too. Yeah, no. And that's to your point. So I, I think that's fair. But again, when you, when you go back and look like, yes, Rachel, maybe the greatest all time of all time in inner geekdom, but Mike in the conversation, KOing Mike, who doesn't have many weaknesses, if any at all. Um, and then again, going back to the way the way I, I can see an argument for both. And I think it, the fact that we're having this conversation, this like, you know, this, um, you know, spirited debate of this just shows how good of a year it was rookie of the year. And if either of them win, like, I'm not going to sit here and shake my head and be like, I can't believe, you know, Paul won rookie of the year because uh, it was just such a fantastic year. Yeah. The last thing I would just say is that I think I think it's probably not quite correct to say that Paul should have lost that mass, match to Chance. I mean, what happened was he forced Chance to hit his five pointer and Chance couldn't hit his five pointer. I mean, OK, the ball was in Chance's court to win the match, but the five pointers are hard questions. I don't think that we, that's it was from earlier. Oh, I was talking more earlier in the, in the match. Chance missed some some pretty easy questions, but that's true. I, I had forgotten about the five point question. I should have hit that. But yeah. OK, yeah. So so anyway, but anyway, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think the debate is strong here. And I, I imagine yeah. other people are having this exact same debate. So I will be interested uh, maybe more than most of the other awards to see how this one is going to come out. Yeah, because I also have a hard time saying just like, oh, like singles is harder and therefore I'm giving an edge to someone who played in singles versus played in inner geekdom. I just think that's I, – I don't – I totally hear the argument for it and how the like the, the – 
breadth of movies covered is wider, but that I don't like that handicap of uh, in in a in a conversation around awards. But that's just for me. It's a tiebreaker, right? Like I said, because they have the same record for you know, in my opinion, a lot of what they have done is pretty similar. So that is something I take into consideration. It's yeah. not like I go through the awards and dismiss every inner geekdom player because they're yeah, I mean, you chose Alex Damon for the stars inner geekdom right. player of the year. And all right, comeback player of the year, Scott Ben Bateman, Jeff Snyder, Dan Merle, Kalinowski, Andrew Guy. Yeah, so you know, for some of these, I think that I have a hard time understanding how it's a comeback. Like for Ben Bateman, I mean, I yeah. mean, the guy won the ultimate Schmidt on teams tournament last year. Like he won a tournament, had a title shot, and lost on a five point question to the Shire Wolves. I mean, the guy was not down on his luck. I mean, yeah, he got put through a table at the end of the spectacular, uh, but it to me it didn't feel like a comeback. I mean, winning a belt, a momentous occasion for him, absolutely at the end of the season. But for me, and that for that reason, like. I'd rather have a more spirited conversation around him for singles player of the year or player of the year uh, and, and less for a comeback player of the year. Cause I think that other people operate in that space a little bit better. Same goes for Kalinowski. I mean, the guy had the belt at the beginning of the season. Like I don't understand what the comeback nature of it is. Maybe you can make an argument for a comeback in, in singles or, or teams, but even then the like, corruption was in the final. What weren't they? I guess they were in the semifinals of the team's tournament. Mike didn't really play that much in singles last year, but to me again, don't really see the argument for here for, for comeback player of the year. And so in that sense, I think it really goes down between uh, Andrew Guy, who really, um, I mean, he had that win against Merle last year, but then kind of flamed out once he hit Roca. Uh, again, maybe not a strong case considering he doesn't have anything to show for for that in terms of the comeback. Uh, so maybe disregarding him a little bit there. But Dan Merle and Jeff Snyder. So, you know, Jeff Snyder losing, obviously losing with the Patriots last year and having that total meltdown against was it Bibiani, I think, in the number one contenders yep. match? Like, total, like, biggest meltdown I've ever seen on the Schmodown in the middle of a match uh, to the point where I wasn't sure he was ever going to play singles again. Uh, and then you come back this year, he has a title shot in sudden death, and he wins the belts against the Shirewolves. I mean, very strong, uh, very strong argument for comeback player of the year. Uh, and in another year, he might have won comeback player of the year. But unfortunately, uh, Dan Merle did not have a good 2018, and the 2019 that he had, was spectacular. I mean, the fact that he lost to Andrew Guy at the collision last year and then lost to Ethan Irwin in a singles tournament in the semifinals, didn't even get to the finals of the singles tournament last year, uh, really put him in a tough position. Like, yes, he won that number one contenders match at the end of the spectacular last year to give himself that title shot in New York uh, for the start of season six. And then, you know, from there, it was pretty much all one note of of good stuff for Dan in season seven. I mean, you talk about him losing the belt. Um at the at the live uh, in studio live event to Paulo Yama, but besides that, I mean, the guy was virtually unstoppable. Winning the free for all, winning that belt again in New York, like I mentioned in, in January, defending the belt it was. I guess he only defended once. He didn't defend twice. Only defending it once, but defending that yeah, and then against Bibiani, yeah. yeah, having a you know a somewhat mixed uh, teams results for the first part of the year, but then of course using that free for all uh, title match winning against corruption in a stipulation match and then defending at the spectacular. Jeff Snyder had a great year, a very strong case for comeback player of the year, but Dan Merle is the comeback player of the year. It's a close call again, between those two guys. Like, like you said, I, I think uh, I don't discount anything you're saying. I think uh, everything you're saying is right. It was an incredible comeback for this year by Dan Merle. But for me, I guess I just look at it as, I expected that of Dan Merle, right? Like he is the greatest of all time for a reason. I always thought that Dan Merle was going to come back stronger. I mean, you can't get 
any lower than losing to Andrew Guy in singles. Uh, I think that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I mean, you probably could losing to Dagnino or something, but um, losing to Robert Meyer Burnett at Dagnino. For me, it, it was clear that that was a fluke. So I, 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 yes, he still had to come back, and he did come back. Um, but I, I expected this from him just because what a, a high quality player he is. I, I went with Jeff Snyder because of what you said, where he was mentally, right? I, I think that whereas Dan Merrill was like, I'm going to come back strong next season. I have this title shot at the start of the year. I'm going to, you know use that as a springing board and that's exactly what he did jeff snyder it was like he he was he was pretty much done it seemed like he he lost that singles match to bibiani completely melted down the patriots lost their belts last year they they lost not only once but twice to above the line um and he was he was sort of at at his you know at the bottom um and the way that he was able to come back this year with the help i think of roxy for sure and also with mark andreco um what was massive, I mean, beating the Shire Wolves, handing them their first ever defeat was huge. I would not have expected the odd couple to be the team to to be the first one to to beat them. And then what yeah, he was, who's the boss couldn't do it. I didn't expect the odd couple to do it. Right. And then what he was able to do in singles um, with beating Mike Kalinowski when Mike Kalinowski was on an incredible run in all three divisions. It just seemed like it was destiny for Mikey three belts to be a thing. Uh, Two and- matches in a row for Mike was a hard one. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe that played a role in it as well. But Snyder got the win. uh, And, you know, he took Oyama to sudden death in that title match. I think it was a match where we might have seen Snyder get down or give up in the past. Um, But again, I think and I think he was rattled. He was visibly rattled in that match, too. I think you have to give some some of that to Roxy. But nevertheless, it it affects on her player and her player, I think, had had a great comeback. And Snyder, I think, has firmly got himself as well. I guess he he. um, guess he's protected next year uh well i guess the team is protected but um i would expect the odd couple to go very early in the draft first round pick for sure um and that speaks to what snyder has done as a comeback player this year so i go with him what is roxy's draft position third i believe man i don't know if she should take them that early i I think that uh, yeah i mean they they have incredible team chemistry um but i just i don't know if the odd couple is a number three pick for me i don't know we'll see that's maybe one of my hotter takes. We will see. No, I mean, I don't think so. I think, like, look, you you talk about with those first picks, right? It's going to be the top teams that are – it's going to be those one through five ranked teams probably that you would expect to see. Maybe Paulo Yama in there is, if you're talking about a singles player that gets in there. But if you're talking about those first five picks, I think you're talking about the top five ranked teams. And I think Odd Couple is number five right now. So, um, But should they be above Looney Bin is the question. They are above Looney Bin. Looney Bin but, is should they be? but should they be? I, th- I think that they they should be picked over Looney Ben. I think more of the question is, should they be picked over the two teams ranked above them who are still going to be available there when when it gets to Roxy? So, I mean, maybe maybe a who's the boss, maybe or I, I mean, who's the boss is not going to be there. But well, so I guess you really only have four teams, right? Because who's the boss is one of those top ranked teams and they're obviously protected because Dagnino gets them. So I guess uh, it really comes down to like the three and four ranked teams left then which maybe is corruption and and um and the odd couple but either way i think we'll we'll see i think there'll be a first round pick maybe not for roxy but somebody's going to get a good pick with them um moment of the year bateman winning the singles tournament and the title in the in the spectacular bibiani going from one to the end at the free-for-all Roka showing up to have his sick game at the spectacular. Rachel beating Kalinowski to become the double champion, and Matt Astley challenging his own win uh, in the Paddington Two Family Match. 
Man, what what a pick of the litter here. I mean, yeah. just five incredible moments. Again, an, another category that I found so difficult. I mean, Bibbs going from one to the end of the free-for-all. I mean, it's almost... I can't decide if it's more of a moment or less of a moment because he didn't win. I'm not even sure which it is. Uh, probably less of a moment because it would have been incredible if he'd gone, if he was the number one pick out of the hat to all the way to the end to actually win. But in some ways, it's it's more funny, of, of course, for the fact that he didn't... He wasn't able to outlast Dan. Uh, Roka showing up sick to play Shazam at the spectacular. I think, for me, that's the odd one out here of these five. Again, like, I don't know. It just... It, it, it wasn't as hype as I think Christian... Uh, wanted it, it was very calculated yeah for me at least i can only speak for myself i'm sure some people were very excited if um in in the moment etc but yeah for me that's kind of the auto now and so then i have these other ones left I, again as awesome for me as a team bateman fan as i wear the shirt uh that to see ben bateman win two matches in one night of the spectacular the of course the the singles final and then the final match in the in the manner that he did you know tkoing william bibiani and koing uh Pauliyama. i think that's spectacular but again i'm just not sure it's the moment of the year uh and so then it comes down to rachel beating mike at the you know at the schmodown throwdown in february to become the first ever double champion and actually challenging his own win i mean the sheer ludicrousness of that moment and for me again this is a little bit unfair probably you know you really should only think about the category that you're voting on but i know the next category what i'm voting for uh and because of that i'm actually choosing actually uh, challenging his own win as moment of the year. And for those of you who don't have the foresight, you'll see in a second what I mean by that, but I am going with Atchity. Yeah. You know, as much as I love the Paddington two and what Atchity did here, um, I didn't go with this for a moment of the year. I went with the thing to me, which is the most impressive thing that I saw in the Schmodown all season and maybe ever. And that's Bibiani going from one to the end in the free for all. I think that this is just an incredible feat to, be the first person out and outlast everyone except for the greatest of all time, right? Like, yeah, okay, he lost in the end, but he lost to Dan Merle. I mean, like, if they're if you're gonna lose to anyone, like, Dan did he Merle lose to JT? No, he was. It was between Bibiani and Merle at the end. But um, I thought JT was done. But JT JT came in third. Um, but um, crazy, just crazy. Yeah, stuff. right. And, and to outlast as many great competitors, like you know, the the tables at at, at certain points were insane and. He survived every single round. He was having to score four and five points in some rounds just to stay alive. He cleared the table at one point. It was just he cleared the kid off the table. Yeah. The animal. Even though he hasn't won the free for all either last year or this year, he is the king of the free for all. And this this is like the, the most impressive thing that will ever be done in a free for all. Um, well, and unless so he wins next year and he's the it's moment of the year. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess if he goes from one to the end, but I, I don't think they're going to give him number one again. Um, I hope Christian does just to screw with him. That would be something. You can't put him on last. That's for sure. That's not fair at all. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, match of the year. Ethan Irwin versus Dan Merle, live event in New York. Kalinowski versus Cushing, the throwdown in which Cushing was the winner. Kalinowski versus Smets, the famous Don't Tell Peter match. Um, Kalinowski versus Cushing in San Diego when Kalinowski won the title back. Uh-huh. Looney Ben versus the Time Machine from the team's tournament. Corruption versus the Shire Wolves. Uh, corruption versus the founding fathers the third time when the founding fathers finally won and shazam versus the movie guys from the team tournament um match of the year what do you got scott yeah scott i think just taking a quick look through this list you'll immediately see that like i mentioned kind of way back earlier at the start of this podcast like the fact that inner kingdom just had these titanic matches this year and i think that was i mean that was one of the things of the showdown in season six just how big 
some of these matches in her Geek more Sam. Now, some of the other ones were very much not big. Like, you know, very... I, I, you know, hesitate to say you should skip any match, but like you can skip some of those other interdictive matches. But when you got down to it, when you got to those title matches, those some of those number one contenders matches, they were the real deal. They're some of the biggest matches in the Schmidt on this year. And this speaks to that. And another thing I think that you notice is that Mike Kalinowski was everywhere in big matches this year. I mean, he had so many of them. I think he's, is he like five of these nominations are Mike are some of Mike's like matches. That, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you have Kalinowski versus Cushing at the third round, Kalinowski versus Smits, Kalinowski versus Cushing again, Corruption versus the Shirewolves, Corruption versus the Like He's like five of these eight nominations have Mike involved in some way. And so what a year for Mike. Uh, he wasn't as he wasn't the winner enough, I think, uh, for him to really be in serious contention for some of the, the bigger conversations around overall player of the year, things like that. But we'll get to that in a second. But for me, I just kind of alluded to it a second ago why I wasn't voting for Rachel Cushing becoming the first double belted champion especially in the manner that it was. But and that's because I'm picking that match for this one, the Cal- like Cushing versus Kalinowski uh, at the, I, you know, the inner geekdom throwdown match in February, you know, incredible match. I mean, obviously for the moment that it was after the match was over for Rachel becoming the first double belted champion, uh, the fact that, or sorry, she's not the first double belt, the first, the first champion of both singles and inner geekdom. So the fact that it's not just singles and teams, sorry, Sam Levine did have that honor. My mm-hmm. bad. I've been saying that like for the last five minutes, I've been saying she was the first double champion, but the, but the momentous occasion that that was for someone to do it across inner geekdom and singles, such a big deal in that moment, but also the match itself, the fact that that Mike was down eight, eight points, I believe it was yeah. going into, into round three. I mean, I thought we were on track for a KO uh, and, and the fact that he turned it around in the manner that did the fact that it went to sudden death and it wasn't even the first sudden death question. In fact, I think it went two questions in sudden death and then changing by, you know, the match being decided on one letter, Ninko versus Ninka. I mean, incredible match. And that's why it's the match of the year for me. Okay. Yeah, Scott, I agree. Ultimately, I, I, it was a close choice between two of the two of the matches that were on here for me, the Shire Wolves versus corruption, right? The, the final Shire Wolves match was the one match this year where I was literally on my feet at the end of the match, wa- watching it live, um, obviously rooting for the Shire Wolves to win. And they didn't, they weren't able to do that, but they had a nice comeback in the match. They had a chance to win there at the end. Um, and unfortunately they weren't able to do it. Um, but it was an incredible match and, you know, everything that followed with the tributes to the Shire Wolves and everything didn't make me think twice but I went with the same match as you. Like it's it's kind of hard to deny that that was an epic match and probably the best we saw this year. Even though I'm not as huge of a fan of the inner geekdom division, just because I don't uh, know really the questions. Like I enjoy playing along with the Schmodan, and I can't really play along with inner geekdom because I don't know the questions. These aren't my favorite movies um, for the most part. Um, y- you can't deny a great match when you see it and. For all the reasons you said, right, the comeback by Kalinowski after Cushing was just absolutely on fire. Didn't look like she was going to miss a single question. And Kalinowski was able to make the comeback. He forced um, the five-pointer, or he forced the sudden death by hitting his five-pointer, which was a, quote, uh, who said it question, right? It could have come from any movie in Inner Geekdom. And he was able to intuit not only that it came from a Middle Earth movie, but uh, the specific character that said it, even though Middle Earth probably isn't one of his best strengths and intergate him, you would have to say. Um, and then forcing the sudden death that way. And then, yeah, the coming down to one letter, Ninko and Ninka, and then just seeing Rachel's reaction to winning intergate for the first time, right? Like she, we say she's the best intergate player of all time. It's kind of crazy to think she didn't even win the title until this year. 
but she's just had some bad luck along the way. And, you know, some of those early matches were the convoluted sort of three and five way matches. And then that Mara match, obviously going to all the rounds of sudden death when she was feeling very sick. Uh, so to see her finally get to the top of the mountain was a great moment as well. And that's why it was nominated for a moment of the year. Uh, but for me, it's definitely the match of the year. All right. Team of the year, the Shire Wolves, Corruption, Shazam, the Founding Fathers, the Odd Couple. Yeah. So thinking about this one, team of the year, it's one of those things where like it's it's hard sometimes to look past, you know, who won the belt, who who is holding the belt at the end of the year. But I think this is one of those situations where I think it really is worth looking at. Yes, the founding fathers had such an incredible end to their season. I mean, they won their last two matches, which are the two matches that mattered the most uh, for their season. You know, the stipulation match that was also a title match against the corruption, you know, Founding Fathers versus Corruption Part Three, and then the you know the title defense against Shazam, and it ended their season on such a high note. But if you look before that, I mean, there's a reason why they were in a stipulation match against Corruption in that third match. Like they were going to retire, and in some ways, that's a double-edged sword, right? The fact that yes, they beat Wild the Wildberries, and they beat they they beat Double Toasted, but then their season kind of sputtered to a halt. Like they lost to Corruption. And they really kind of were forced to turn it around. I think that they definitely have a strong case. But, you know, you flip over the coin and you look at someone like Shazam, who, you know, won the team's tournament and fell just short in that titles match. You look at the odd couple who were able, you know, beat Who's the Boss uh, and the Shire Wolves, as well as the Scream Queens. But I think Who's the Boss and the Shire Wolves, you know, being their, their big wins. They had an underwhelming team's tournament. So that puts a damper on their, on, on their you know, kind of um, push for, for, team of the year status and so for that reason i think this category is a really hard one because i think there's cases for and against each one of these things each one of these teams and so in this situation we do try to kind of correct for recency bias i mean i guess i haven't even talked about the shire there's there's also the shire people you know the team's tournament uh sorry the the holders of the team's belt coming into this year you know defending it against critically acclaimed you know lost to the odd couple beat the odd couple at the collision lost to corruption you know, it was an up and down year for for them as well. And so for me, this was a really hard category, not because uh, because all the teams have strong cases for and some caveats against them. And so maybe, again, recency bias here going with the end. But I think that the founding fathers, you know, eke out everyone else just barely because of the end to their season uh, and the fact that, you know, they were able to win that very high pressure stipulation match. Uh, that was also a title match against corruption and then defended against Shazam, a team that was, again, you talk talk about teams that were on fire coming in. You know, the fact that they had such a large kind of, uh, by that point, history of, of beating really tough teams. They had, you know, two or three really big wins in the team's tournament, and the fact that they fell short against Founding Fathers, or I should say the Founding Fathers were able to overcome them. I think that speaks a lot, and I'm going with the Founding Fathers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that for me, it came down to who won that who won that last title match, right? Like I think those are the two candidates for me for team of the year, Founding Fathers and Shazam. I think Shazam, what they did was incredibly impressive when you consider how loaded the team's division is this year. The teams that they had to go through to win the team's tournament. I mean, you talk about the Looney Bin, you talk about the odd couple, you talk about the movie guys, you talk about um the family. Right, the family in their championship match. I mean, those are huge wins for uh, a brand new team and a team that even features a rookie as well. Um, but ultimately, they couldn't pull it out in the end against Founding Fathers. And I think Founding Fathers, yeah, maybe they don't have the same pedigree of wins as Shazam does, but I think their wins are as just as as impressive 
for reasons that you've said, Scott, the pressure of that stipulation match going up against a team that you've already lost to twice, right? Like, and we saw this with Roca when he was on top 10. They went up against the Patriots three times. And by the third time, they just didn't have it in them anymore. And, and they lost. I mean, and it wasn't even close from, from my memory that that third um, title match, I think that was actually the Jane Fonda match, which the, the Patriots knocked them out um, in that match. And so I think Roca probably had that in the back of his mind, right? That like, here you go. The, again, the, going up for, against this team for the third time, having lost them the first two times, but the dominant performance that they put in, both having perfect rounds in the first round in that match, beating Corruption, a team that was on fire after beating the Shire Wolves. Um, and then, again, carrying through and beating Shazam in, in convincing fashion. Again, a TKO against Shazam at the Schmodown Spectacular um, after Shazam had had all of the impressive wins. And you, you might say had the momentum going into the match. I know I certainly picked Shazam to win the match. Um, I think this is the team of the year for me. They did only lose one match despite um, – you know, maybe having some ups and downs during the season, you could say they only lost one match and that was to corruption who they, you know, came back and beat then. Um, yep. And so I think this is the team to beat going into next season and understandably. So they're the champions. So founding fathers team of the year. Yep. Singles player of the year. Our last two awards here, Dan Merle, William Bibiani, Ben Bateman, Paul Oyama, Mike Kalinowski. Yeah. I, I mean, another absolute banger of a category. I think you can create arguments for all of these people i think for me mike is kind of the first one that falls that falls off this this list yes you know he 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 had you know a, a win against ben bateman who is you know obviously currently holding the title uh at the at the end of the season he had a couple you know big kind of rival matches against janine that he won but you know singles was his weakest division singles was the division that he wasn't able to get that third belt of the mikey three belts and for that reason he's the first person to, to kind of drop off the list especially when you have the rest of this list all of these people either are current or you know former champions in the singles division uh bibiani being the one person who didn't hold the belt this year but look at what he did in the free-for-all the fact that he lasted from one till the end look at the fact that he got to the finals of the singles tournament you know he had a strong he had a very strong year again He's again kind of the first, the next person who falls off the list because he didn't hold the title. Because I don't even think he was in a title match this year, was he? Was he? No. Oh, he, yeah, he was. He was in a title match. He lost to Dan. Dan beat him in a because he beat, uh, he beat, he won a three like a, th a, a number one. Oh, sorry, yeah, you're, you're talking about Bibiani. Sorry, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about Mike still. Oh no, sorry. Talking about Bibiani. So yeah, Bibbs did have a title match, but you know he did lose to Merle in that match, just like he lost to Merle in the free for all. Uh, Merle really and in the teams tournament, man. Merle really had his number this year. That was a tough one for Bibbs. Um, but yeah, I think that for that reason, I think Bibbs again just falls a little bit short of what these other three competitors in this in this uh, in this um, award nomination category were able to were able to do. And so then it comes down to primetime Paul Yama, who again. You know, one of the rookies of the year, winning, you know, going six and zero to start the year. Yeah, you could say that he flamed out a little bit in in the spectacular, but what a strong case for a singles player of the year, Dan Merle. So he won the title at the beginning of the year, defended against Bibiani, then did lose to Oyama in a live event, and then you know Ben Bateman made it to the final, went through the singles tournament to get his title shot. You know, had that opportunity, and then um, you know won. Won it, wanted it in a convincing fashion against Oyama. And so, you know, I look at these three categories 
or sorry, these three individuals. And I have honestly, I have a really hard time uh, picking between them. I think that, you know, it could be a little bit of my my bias coming through here. But I think the occasion and the moment for Ben Bateman winning, you know, winning the belt and, you know, winning the first the team, you know, the singles tournament, the final in that in that way. And then going at the end, playing again for the belts. I think that that adds a little bit to it. I think the fact that, you know, he had so much pressure on him to, you know, win the singles tournament, to win the belt. And then the way that he goes about doing that in a TKO, like with a TKO and then a KO, I think that that was huge for him. Uh, and also, of course, his performance in Houston being huge as well. I think that it's, for me, it's really tough to pick between these three. And I, and I'm, I wouldn't begrudge anyone selecting any of these three players, but I did vote for Ben. I also vote for, voted for Ben, and I think it, it did come down to him and Oyama. But um, I think this is where maybe I factored in the end of the, the season, right, the, the final match, because it was between the two of them, right? It was Bateman versus Oyama. It wasn't like yeah. Oyama versus Smets, like the debate we were having on Rookie of the Year. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think Bateman, what, what he did, you know, coming back from being, you know, at at, at, at his – bottom again kind of like Snyder was after losing his first match this season I forget who he lost to but um then winning six matches in a row winning that singles tournament um you know and playing through the pain right in some of those matches right like his back injury uh really really hurt him um especially going into that match with Brendan Meyer the semifinal match and he destroyed Brendan Meyer. he knocked him out yes yeah. um and then beating Bibiani right like who maybe has more knowledge than anyone in this league um and TKOing him in the in the title match at the spectacular incredibly impressive um and I you know was was very happy to see Ben get the belt that uh, has always eluded him um but that he was able to to finally grasp this year in singles so I went with Ben, though, you know, definitely a close call for the reasons I talked about on Rookie of the Year. Oyama had an incredible season as well. Yeah. Final awards, Scott, Player of the Year, Dan Merle, Rachel Cushing, Ben Bateman, Mike Kalinowski, William Bibiani. Yeah. Again, I think that there is really strong arguments for all of these people. It's unfortunate that, you know, in her final season of, of the Schmodown, she is going to be the first person off my list and overall player of the year for contention. I do kind of knock Rachel off this list. You know, innocent, not in a dissimilar way to what happened to the way I thought about Sam last year as well uh, in his in his push for overall player of the year, uh, even though he did ultimately win overall player of the year, didn't he? Yes, I think so. Yeah, well, I, I didn't vote for him. Let's put it that way. Uh, but anyway, I think that she is unfortunately the first person off this list, even though she won you know, inner geekdom and was defending in teams. You know, she, she just, for me, these are like the arguments for these other people just don't quite make it. You know, Bibiani, again, someone, you know, who had such a strong year, the fact that, you know, in singles and in teams, you know, what he was able to do with Shazam, what he was able to do in the singles tournament, you know, winning that three-way against, you know, both Irwin and Roca and then beating them again in the singles tournament. I mean, that's very impressive. Like when you have four wins of those caliber on like, you know, under, you know, on, on your belts for a year. Like that's, that's very impressive, but he didn't win a title and that's tough. I think that that makes it really tough. And so for that reason, you know, Bibiani, unfortunately isn't, you know, isn't in one of the final conversations for me for player of the year. So then you have, you know, Dan Merle, Ben Bateman and Mike Kalinowski, you know, Ben, you know, he's, you know, I voted for him in that singles player of the year, 
but I think that he just doesn't have the holistic package here uh, to win an overall player of the year. Like he just didn't have a good enough year with who's the boss. They lost that number one contender match against the odd couple earlier on in the year. They only made it to the quarter, uh, sorry, the semifinals of the team's tournament, which, you know, if on, you know, by most accounts would be an accomplishment, but for them, you know, they had a title shot at spectacular last year because they won the team's tournament and the family, a really tough team, but, you would expect them to beat the family personally. I would have, I would have, you know, I, I, I would have thought that they would have won that match. And so for that reason, it just puts a little bit of a damper, you know, on his candidacy for overall player of the year. Cause obviously he has a very strong case in the singles category. We just, we both just picked him for that. And so then it comes down to Mike Kalinowski and Dan Merle, Mike Kalinowski, you know, we talked about it just a few minutes ago. He had, he was in five of the eight, you know, matches of the year. He didn't win all of them, but he, you know, he was in the conversation for all of those, you know, for more than half of the matches of the year. And I think that that speaks to how important and how big of a season that he had. But even that, even the fact that, you know, hashtag Mikey three belts was a thing for a not insignificant portion of time earlier this year. The fact that he had that team's belt and the inner geekdom belt in the way that he did, it still doesn't live up to what I think Dan Merle was able to accomplish this year, you know, winning the free for all, winning that singles belt in New York at the start of the season, defending it against Bibiani, even though he did lose it to Oyama. You know, he didn't have that opportunity to prove himself in the singles tournament because he was the belt holder uh, right before it uh, when he lost to Oyama. And then what he was able to do that teams in the team's uh, division. Yes, they have that one loss to to corruption uh, that we talked about, but other than that. They were perfect this year, and they won the biggest matches, you know, the stipulation match that we already talked about, and that match is spectacular. Dan Merle's overall player of the year. You make a convincing case, Scott, but you have not convinced me. Okay. I went with Mike Kalinowski. Um, yeah. I think, hey, you get no hate from me. I mean, my heart says Mike, so. Right, and overall play, overall is the word that's key yeah. for me, right? Like, even though at the end of the season, right, like we look at it and we say, well, he, do he doesn't have any belts, right? Mikey three belts was a legitimate thing like for like you said a not insignificant amount of time and like Rachel Cushing is the only other player who has ever been like a legitimate threat in all three divisions and the fact that Mikey three belts was even a possibility a realistic possibility uh, speaks to what Mike Kalinowski did this year winning the intergeekdom title beating Rachel Cushing to get it winning the team's title again beating Rachel Cushing and Clark Wolf one of the greatest teams of all time to to win the team's title getting almost there in the singles uh you know al almost getting to that singles title match against oyama having you know may maybe the fact that having to play two matches in the same day was really the only thing which prevented him from doing so um and again maybe there's where you give robert meyer burnett heel of the year because he was the one who decreed that but um yeah true that was that may have been the only thing keeping him from reaching mikey three belts I'm not sure how long it's going to take. Maybe Dan Merle will have a shot at doing it next year, but I'm not sure when we will see another legitimate like shot at, at holding all three belts like uh, Mike Kalinowski had this year. And so yeah. for his overall... That's because Smets will never lose the Interkingdom belt. Yeah, maybe. And, and for overall... So for overall dominance this year, didn't end the way he wanted, but for the majority of the season, this season was all about Mike Kalinowski. When I think back about season six and think about who is the one player that defined this season. For me, it's Mike Kalinowski. And so I pick him for player of the year. Like I said, I will not begrudge you that. My heart hopes that Mike wins this award.
Yeah, we will see whether the fans are on his side and we will see tomorrow uh, as you are listening to this. But um, for now, thank you for listening to this episode of Champs Lunch. Um, glad that we could do another episode here in such a short time period. Uh, again, we're, we don't anticipate having a long hiatus like we had um prior to our last episode. Um, and we are really looking forward to season seven. Uh, we hope you will join us throughout season seven uh, as we hopefully will be joined by some guests from the Schmodown community. I think that is something we're looking to do throughout uh, the next season of Champs Lunch. Um, and yeah, so so look forward to that. Don't forget to check about check out all of our other podcasts um, on, right here on the Some Like It Scott feed where you found this podcast, including Some Like It Scott uh, and our upcoming Christopher Nolan countdown series, which will be releasing uh, about the, uh, around the summer um, is, is when we'll start to drop those episodes. May, I believe. Um, check all of those podcasts out. Check out our Patreon mediaplugpods.com slash or patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, even if you can't support us over there, like, rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app so that we can continue to grow our listener base. And please join us for our next episode of Champs Lunch, uh, in which we will be recapping the events of January 2019 in the or 2020 uh, in, in the movie Trivia New Decade starting. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Thank <music> you.